I think your audience should believe that real estate investing is, you know, buying and holding something for five to 10 years out. Hey, it's JP. Hi, it's Excel. And you're listening to Terry Shower on the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. I'm here today with Jared Henderson, who is a full-time real estate investor. And uh, he's going to tell us a little bit about how he did it, his journey, and uh, his business model. So, Jared, by way of introduction, can you tell me about your journey through life that's led you to be on my show with me today? Thanks, Terry. Yes, I can. I hopefully you have enough time, but I'll try to condense it so uh, your audience can can get a grasp. Born and raised in Montreal, uh, moved around a little bit after university, but basically started working out at my, my father's manufacturing company. After a few years, got sort of bored of doing the nine to five thing. Always had a sales background and did enjoy that aspect of work because I'm sort of a hunter. I need to go out there and and uh, create something that wasn't created and, and, and build business. That's what I like to do. And, you know, I, I ventured with that back and forth, but I, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad back in 2005, right after I started traveling in univer- after university. And I always had in the back of my head the, the nine to five thing regarding, you know, escalating the corporate ladder. It just wasn't there for me. And I wanted to build equity in something on my own. And so basically, I started buying condos in 2012 in Niagara Falls, so a full decade ago. And to make a long story short, I held on to them, refinanced them a few years after acquiring them, and started diving into other markets after educating myself about the the growth in the Golden Horseshoe in Hamilton, St. Catharines, and uh, primarily purchasing single-family duplexes, adding value and refinancing them. And now my portfolio mainly lies in Peterborough, where I I duplex bungalows and uh, refinance them both with my own money and and my partners. And I've grown my business that way. And now that uh, starting January of this year, I'm now a full-time real estate investor. So what that means is in addition to buying and holding real estate with my own funds as well as partners, I, I flip homes and I wholesale them in order to generate day-to-day income. I call it my grocery money. These are, this is what it's paying for, my mortgage, my food, vacations, all that kind of stuff. So I've got the, the investment component for the long-term equity bill and flipping and wholesaling for grocery money, as I put it. Okay. So some active income sprinkled in there. Um, exactly. All right. There's like a bunch of things that I want to pull on there. So I'm going to let me try to not be too scattered. So the first thing is, okay, you're a kid from Montreal. Uh, sounds like you grew up in Quebec. How do you end up investing in Ontario? Like, because that's kind of, and especially like, I think you said Hamilton, like that's not like Gatineau, like it's not like Ottawa, right? Or Hawkesbury, which is right on the border. Like how does St. Catharines, it was St. Catharines. How does St. Catharines even like get on your radar? Yeah, so I never was part of uh, the the, mar- uh, the entire networking social media world prior to, let's say, five years ago. So back in 2012, uh, 2012 I was living in Ottawa, actually for you know, a few years, close enough to Montreal. But still, I invested four hours away, so the question's still relevant. I spoke with a friend of a friend who had started investing in real estate, but the idea was uh, it was very hands-off, right? So you buy into this... Uh, condominiumization projects, basically uh, someone who owns an apartment building and they're 
separating each unit into condos, going through that process and looking for investors like myself to to purchase them and hold them. And, and so that's what I did because I felt it was the easiest way to get into real estate without having to be completely hands-on and look for the tenant and qualify for them and, and qualify them in order to generate you know, a, a real actual real estate investment. And so I bought two of these condos and uh, I, after seeing that they had appreciated after a few years, starting 2015, let's say three years after, I started researching why, uh, you know, how there's uh, basically an influx of both immigration and growth in population around the Golden Horseshoe. And that's what led me to Hamilton and St. Catharines. And why I continue to invest around the GTA today is I just, it's pure uh, it's pure appreciation. It's pure population growth. It's nothing more than that. I, w- I wish I could invest more around Montreal, and it, it, I probably could. But the truth is, you could probably invest almost anywhere. And I really started to build a network of contractors, property managers in my markets. So it's just easier for me to grow within the, the markets that I'm already established and mm-hmm. to branch out into. Uh, to, to multiple other markets, or even to be local. There, there's a lot of advantages to what I do in Ontario. And uh, so do you still live in Ottawa? No, I live in Montreal. Oh, wow. Yeah, so, I, I was just there for a few years from 2009 okay. to 13. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. So, and I have another question for you. So the type of properties you said that you uh, initially scaled your business with, so single family duplex, what comes into my mind is, gosh, those are all residential mortgages. How does Jared have enough income to grow a portfolio of residential mortgages because you're stuck with the loan to value thing in your salary? So how did you crack that little conundrum? Yeah, great question. So I believe I got about six or seven until the bank said, time out, you've got too much. And then I started uh, working with joint ventures. So basically, you know, I took up coaching and started to attract money based on the, the activities that I was doing, showed prospective investors and how I basically recycled their money, put it into a home, made the improvements and got it out and holding the asset without almost any money in and sometimes profit after. So it's really a fascinating formula if done correctly. Now, a lot of things need to go your way. The renovations need to go well. You need to have a strong after repair value. But with the right, with basically me delegating the financing to a partner, you can have as many properties as as your partners can qualify for. So that that was a way of expanding. Um, I also start to uh, work with B lenders and private lending, but basically branched out after five to seven properties and buying them personally. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I, I, you know, I think everybody eventually gets tapped out either on the capital front or on the lending front. And the question is just which one of those two is going to come first, especially like in the um, residential space, right? If you go into multifamily, like at least there you can, uh, you know, I don't want to say they would give my dog a mortgage, but like they're not too worried about your personal revenues because they're looking at the property. But on the residential yeah. side, they're really looking at your revenue. So like everybody runs into that, that problem. So if we want to get really specific, when you we had a little conversation off camera just before we started the interview, you said you invest today in Peterborough. Now, you're the first person that I've spoken to who invests in Peterborough, actually in small town Ontario. I'm sure there's lots of people who do it. As this is a Montreal show, I just don't get a chance to have those conversations that much. So 
Tell me about that. Tell me about Peterborough. Tell me about a typical deal that you would have done, let's say, in the last, I don't know, I want to say like ever since the interest rates started creeping upwards, because I think that's going to be the most representative. And if you can throw some numbers in there, that would be really awesome. Sure. Yeah. And by the way, I think it's weird that I invest in Peterborough, but it, uh, to make the long story short, I was looking in Oshawa originally, originally meaning uh, 2016. And I just saw no cash flow. Where uh, I ran the numbers, and long, there was just no cash flow. The, the the expenses would be matching the revenue or slightly above if you actually factored in vacancy, you know, maintenance expenses, and all these items that tend to be left off the pro forma from uh, many agents. But anyway, my agent the next day said, "Hey, Peterborough's a you know, it's it's 30 minutes away, but it's." The, the next market. And then I bought two there. And then I basically grew my portfolio starting 2017 in Peterborough. I bought two houses and then turned them into student rentals. But uh, in terms of a recent deal, I bought a place on single family home, 757 Third Avenue for $450,000. I put in $110,000 to create a legal basement suite. So what that means is that it's not just a, a regular suite, a regular apartment. It's, you know, it's protected by the fire code. It's got basically two bedrooms, one bathroom, and it's, it's acknowledged as a separate unit where I'm allowed to have different tenants. Normally, if you have a, a, a granny suite, sometimes characterized in these real good listings, it, it just means that, you know, you're, it's a bi-generational house that you can have other family members live in, but Everyone needs to be part of the same league. So it's just not the same thing at all. And it recently appraised for $750,000. So basically, at a, you know, if you've got a lender at an 80% loan to value, that deal allowed me to pull out all the down payment of the, of the property and all the renovation costs, as well as a little bit of profit after to return to my equity partner. And it's just a, an example of the types of deals that I do. So when I'm looking for these bungalows, they're, they're going to be high ceilings, lots of windows in the basement, and basically dated, you know, something that I can add a lot of value to, and I'm really getting a deal. So for example, I bought it for 450 At the time, uh, places like that were selling for 525 type thing. So a good discount off the, uh, the ticket price in order to create that gap. That, that equity when I refinance it uh, as a final product. Enjoying the episode so far? Have you really been listening to the episode or has your monkey mind been taking you off in one direction or another? Our mental habits can be our biggest assets or our biggest liabilities as we pursue certain goals. For me, the biggest performance gains have always come from training my mind. In my book, Mindful Landlord, I talk about how you can train your mind and how you can apply some of these strategies to your journey in the real estate field. The book is available on Amazon and also on its website, mindfullandlord.com. Now I'll stop evangelizing for the power of mental training and let you get back to the show. Mm -hmm. And um, so just tell me, you the refinance was how long ago? I'm just trying to get a sense for what the interest rate would have been. It would have been about six months ago, so basically maybe one third on the way up of all these increases. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you were still able to pull out the kind of capital that you wanted to get at that time. Yeah. Now I think banks will only 
refinance maybe 75% or 70% just because the, the market has softened since and they want to take less risk. But I got one in, let's say, under the buzzer. So mm -hmm. um, very happy because you obviously feel great when you can return all the equity, all, all the capital your partner invested plus return some profit on, on the side. And so basically we're holding the asset with zero dollars in and it's just a, a home run of a deal. Uh, that's not always the case. Sometimes you're leaving some money in the deal and it doesn't make it a bad investment. You know, I believe and I think your audience should believe that real estate investing is, you know, buying and holding something for five to 10 years out. That's when mm -hmm. you start to realize the massive equity gains that it can mm -hmm. provide. So, okay, that was going to be my next question is if you guys held the property, what are your, what do your rents look like? Just that so we can get an idea of the cash flow. Yeah, we're getting 2300 upstairs and uh, we're, we're going to be able to increase our rents downstairs from 1750 to 2000. So that's yeah. why I'm in Ontario because we don't see those rents in Quebec. Yeah. Absolutely. Or a similar type of property. Yeah. 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 The rental um, value what, is very strong in Ontario. And what would your um, monthly cash flow be on that? About, so it was about uh, $600, five to $600 a month prior to the, the rates increasing so much. And now we're a little, a little above water, let's say a hundred or $200. Okay. So you have a variable rate mortgage then? Yes, exactly. Okay. Okay. Yeah. We well, should have, you know, my fault, I guess, well, it depends on your perspective, but ideally looking back, this was an opportunity where right after refinancing, I should have refinanced at a fixed rate, but we didn't know that they would increase this this fast, this high. So, you know, I'm not the only one. I'm definitely not perfect. And I don't attempt to try to call the bottom of the market, the top of the market, anything like that. So if I could go back and just lock it in as a fixed, the second we refinance it, that would be great and lock in that cash flow. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, well, so I mean, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, and I think we yeah. all uh, on our journey uh, end up making moves that we wish we hadn't. But like, so what? You know, it's part of the part of the learning process. I wonder. If they, so I just thank you also for being very transparent and you know authentic about about the numbers and about uh, you know the fact that not everything always goes exactly according to plan, which kind of leads me to my next question. So. You know, I think if you read people's social media feeds and like see a lot of uh, stuff that's out there in the real estate world, there's this idea that people want to project kind of overnight success and make it seem like everything happened in a way that's effortless and there's, you know, not real stress. But I think if you get into people's journeys and how things really started, like we all took a lifestyle hit. And, you know, for me, it was living in a really not great part of town for a long time and, you know, doing a lot of the management like out of a room in my apartment back in the day. And so I just want, I'm curious for you, like, what was the lifestyle hit you took? Yeah, well, I, I definitely aimed at reducing my rent and car expenses. Those are the, the largest expenses in life, let's say that you need to incur. But when I think about it, I've been able to grow a reasonably sized portfolio because I invested every last dollar that I got from refinancing the previous property. So what I mean by that is, let's say that deal that I just mentioned, where I'm, I'm basically receiving all of my invested funds back from the property. Okay, so I've done this with partners' money and I've done it with my own where um, I, I myself put down the 20%, put in 100 to $120,000 to do the basement suite, get it refinanced, and then 
collect a great check of let's say $200,000, $250,000. It's very tempting to take 50 or 100 of that and blow it on a nice car or some nice vacations or whatever you want to do. The truth is that in order to grow something significant, you have to keep reinvesting your money into the business without increasing your lifestyle. You can increase it a little bit, but when, as you mentioned, you see people posting pics of Lamborghinis or sports cars or mansions or this or that, it's likely just a show and it, it, it's not representative of how you grow the wealth. Now, it's, it's definitely a possibility for someone who's been at it for 10 years grinding seven days a week and, and, and has built something or, or, or even less. That's, that's possible as well. But the truth is, in order to, to really see that hockey stick exponential growth, you're investing every last dollar. You're not using your own money. You're, you're, you're borrowing privately. You're sourcing joint venture partners. And I'll say you're, you're getting a bit lucky as well. The market's treating you well, because if you see what's happening right now, prices are softening. Uh, no one wants to buy anything. Interest rates are increasing. Well, if that had happened five years ago, I wouldn't have what I have, and nor would anyone else. So it's, it's, there is a little bit of luck as well. And I think it's important for your audience to know that anyone who's considering starting in real estate investing to understand that you need to continue reinvesting your profits into your business in order to grow something significant. Mm -hmm. It's just that simple. There's no other way around it. You, you buy a car, then that, the liability of that expense will, will drag down your ability, you'll drag down your credit, it'll drag down your ability to grow your business, and you'll probably sell it at a loss instead of a profit. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, I, could, I couldn't agree more. At the, at the risk of belaboring the point, what other sorts of uh, sacrifices have you made? Because that's, you know, financially, like, I, I think I think you're absolutely right. I think the fact of seeing most of the dollars generated by your activities as something that needs to be plugged back into the business and not, you know, go out on expensive vacations or whatever else, like, I, that's, I, you know, I, I can definitely relate to that. But what about you know, some of the other like time-wise or education-wise yeah. or like growth-wise, like what did you have to do to get the knowledge and have the time to put this together? Yeah. So Terry, it's, it's incredibly important to be passionate and really love what you do to make this all work. If that's what I'm doing, I mean, uh, <laughs> you know, but it is true because it can be all consuming. In addition to working a nine to five, I was also working before and after the working days and on weekends in order to grow the portfolio, in order to attend these seminars, meetups, and, and think about me. I'm, I'm living in Montreal and I'm going to Ontario to meet people. Thankfully, actually, COVID helped catalyze a lot of those relationships and connections simply because by virtue of what we're doing right now, it's no different than what I've been doing the last couple of years. And I actually worked harder during COVID probably harder than I ever did in my entire life because it kind of felt like Groundhog Day. Every day was the same day, but that's just get up and work because I can't do much else. But actually made it easier for me. But to get back to regular life, if that's what today is, um, the sacrifices that need to be made are working, let's say, a nine-to-five job or you know, generating T4 income so you can have the credit to buy places personally, as well as 
put in those hours after work and on weekends in order to create the network that you need to keep growing your business. And what I will also mention on a personal level is that it's incredibly important that your significant other is on board with what you're doing because there is no way around it. You're not going to find any excuses. You, You won't be able to come up with another excuse of why you need to do this, why you you need to do that. They need to be on board with your vision. And if they want to support that by working with you, that even better. Um, But the truth is they need to be supportive of your vision and what you're trying to do because the the hours that are needed are inescapable. That's why I say you need to love it and you need to be on board. That, that, That would be my best advice to someone who's looking to get into real estate or has just started and wants to continue growing. It just doesn't happen without it, right? Yeah, I I think that's really a great advice. And you kind of stole the thunder from uh, one of my last questions, which which was, uh, you know, what in the industry should we be talking about that maybe we don't talk about? You know, I, I know you mentioned off camera initially that making sure that your partner is on board. Would you have anything else to kind of say on that topic or, or maybe some advice of like, how do you get that buy-in? You know, I think, I don't know if you have kids or not, but like, you know, once you have a, a partner, it's one thing. If it's just the two of you looking after each other, that's one thing. But when you have a family and like, it means that someone's got to, you know, look after the kids or, or be home at night while you're out networking. Like, how do you, how do you sell that? How do you get them on board? Yeah, I think a lot of it comes through your performance and what you're actually bringing to the table. So, you know, if, if you draw the connection with, with your partner or your supporting network and say, Hey, look, I'm doing this and this is the final result, but it's like the tip of the iceberg that you see. Um, no one sees all the work that went into that beautiful refinance or that great flipped property. Uh, you had to make 10, 20 offers to get that one that worked. You needed to go through a couple of contractors in order to get the one that finally, you know, you either gel with or they came in at the right price and there were a strong referral, but you had to fire the the previous contractor no one wants to talk about those aspects because well i won't say no one i'll put it this way if you're trying to sell someone on real estate you're going to see the fancy car the lifestyle that real estate is supposed to give you if you talk to a real investor about how they grew they're going to tell you about all the hours while either maintaining or reducing their lifestyle in order to to grow their business and it, and it's really that simple if not it's it's a show or inherited money or some other story going on but uh, i like to think that uh, it's important for investors to to be you know very authentic with their experience and i definitely don't hesitate to show people the the pains that i've been through i recently had a couple of kids vandalize one of my properties and uh, look, that's no fun, but you have insurance and all of these challenges make you a better investor in the long term. And I used to think those were just cheesy words that someone would say years ago. But the truth is, if you're going to get anywhere in this business, bad things are going to happen and you're going to have to deal with them. And you're going to have to know that they're going to happen again. But it doesn't matter because if, you're, if your vision is, is strong and you're able to hold income property for a long period of time, you will receive the benefits, which will outweigh all those, all those obstacles along the way. Yeah, I, I think uh, you're, I think you're completely right. And as you were telling that story, you know, I was just thinking, 
I got when I early on in my career, I got caught with a variable rate mortgage. I think it was my first property. Like in 2006, I bought my first property and I took a variable rate. I was a student at the time. My dad co-signed the mortgage and I got the first letter in the bank of the rate increase. I got the second letter of the bank for the rate increase. And at that point I was earning like 30K, you know, like I, I really could not handle that myself. And then I fixed my mortgage at like, you know, the one percentage point above. And then I looked in the mirror and I was like, never again the variable rate mortgage <laughs> yeah and so like i learned you know i learned that lesson back in 2006 from a mistake exactly like everybody today who got caught out with a variable rate mortgage and so now i fix everything all the time even though i know it's going to be a little bit more and and now i'm happy about that right but i think you're right when you say that like we all go through these sort of expensive learning experiences at a certain point and then the the fact is to be able to kind of bounce back from that hold on to your properties or, or hold on to your investments despite that and just not make the same mistake the next time around exactly yeah and just so you know a, a funny story when i started after my first couple of properties in niagara falls i, I bought a, a couple in hamilton and they were single family and I, the rates were good so i was sure that these tenants were going to be great and i was going to hold the property for at least five years and that didn't happen so i actually had a, a different experience where instead of signing up for a five-year fixed i said i'm never going to do fixed again because i had two five-year fixed mortgages look looking back the penalty was minimal it was like six thousand dollars per property so comparing that to issues that come up now and <laughs> it's not a very big deal but it, it's interesting we we, uh, we basically use the experience we have to influence our decisions i do understand why you'd want to be on fixed and of course you look like a genius now with what's going on and, and the rapid increased rates and um, i i never saw it happening for sure so it's interesting i if there's one thing I've learned as well is that when you started really seeing this peak in uh, January, February, I sold one as a flip. Next time that happens again, I'm going to sell a few. I'm not just selling one just to take some money off the table. Even if the, the prices keep going up, you can sleep well saying, hey, well, you know, uh, they, when you're receiving 25 offers, uh, no conditions, there's uh, all you know, it's what they call irrational exuberance, I guess, usually in the stock market or just this greed that's that's sort of taken over and people will uh, overpay. So, yeah, it's fun. We we have these experiences and we adjust. That's that's yeah. what learning yeah. is, right? Yeah, it's uh, it's the fear of missing out phase, right? When you oh, look yeah. at like the, 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 the real estate cycle, like at the very top, it's when people are afraid if I don't buy now, I'll never be able to buy. And like, I think we were certainly consumed with that for about a year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jared, I, we're coming up to the end of our time today. I want to thank you so much for this interview. I really appreciate, you know, your uh, authenticity and your willingness to just be honest about stuff. That's something I try to do on the show. And it's always fun when the guest is on board with having those kind of conversations. Maybe you want to just tell our audience uh, where they can reach out to you if they want to learn more, if they want to uh, have a chat with you. What's the best way to get in touch? Sure. Yeah. What I'll do is uh, my Instagram handle is Jared H five five. So that's spelled J A R E D H H five five. And uh, my email is J J Henderson five 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 at gmail.com. If we're not there uh, on Instagram, and that's usually the best way of getting a hold of me. Happy to have conversations with your audience regarding 
investing in real estate, what their plans are, what they're looking to do. Um, you know, I had a lot of people help me at the at the beginning phase of what to do if this, if that, and I know what it's like. So uh, I don't know everything, but I've learned a lot along the way in the last 10 years and happy to, to share my knowledge with your audience. Thank you, Jared. Very generous. We're going to drop those links in the show notes. And uh, thank, thank you again for spending this time with me. Thank you, Terry. Thanks for listening to the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, remember to give us a rating, leave a comment, subscribe, and share. You can find Terry at terryshower.com. Her book, Mindful Landlord, is available on Amazon. You can also follow her on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. JP is the president of the Real Estate Investors Club. You can learn more about the club's networking and educational activities on Facebook by searching for Real Estate Investors Club. Look to the show notes to find information on our guests and links to material mentioned in the episode.